Welcome back to the Interlude Podcast. You are listening to episode 90, A Conversation with Kawana Rucker. I am really excited to bring you this conversation. Kawana is a breast cancer survivor, and she is a board-certified health coach with a goal of empowering women to overcome breast cancer, really using a holistic approach. On today's episode, she talks about her own breast cancer journey and how she navigated the challenging treatment decisions she encountered and how she was able to advocate for herself by slowing down and really taking the time to think about what she wanted to do. She shares about how her diagnosis of breast cancer led her to become a health coach and some of the amazing and empowering work that she is doing now. We also speak about clinical trials, how to find them, how to get access to clinical trials, and much more. And with that, it is my honor to welcome Kawana Rucker to the Interlude Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Eleanor Toplinski, and I am a board-certified medical oncologist specializing in the treatment of breast and gynecologic cancers. I started the Interlude Podcast as a way to share the journeys and experiences of women who are going through cancer. On this podcast, we talk about anything and everything related to the cancer journey, the treatment, and life after cancer. As a reminder, the information discussed on this podcast is not meant to serve as medical advice. Any specific medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. All right. Thank you so much, Kawana, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So... We have so many things to talk about, and we've connected on Instagram a little while ago, and I've been loving the stuff that you're posting and doing and the advocacy work that you're doing. But before we get into all of that, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your diagnosis? Absolutely. So uh, April of, well, no, March of 2018, I was doing my monthly routine uh, exam in the shower. One thing I can say is my mother always taught me to check my breast um, because she had a history of fibrocystic breast. And so she always told me that um, I should check my breast. I was in the shower checking my breast. It was right around my period and I felt a lump. Um, And I can honestly say that I can remember learning how to check my breast, but thinking my breasts were always lumpy and glandular. Like, how would I ever know the difference? (laughs) But at that moment, it felt different. Um, and so I remember going to the room saying to my husband, my breast feels different. He checked my breast. Ladies, have your husbands check your breast too. You can always have a second opinion. Um, he said, I, that feels different. And um, the next day I immediately got up and contacted my gynecologist and asked if she could do an exam on my breast. I was 37 years old. I had never had a mammogram um, or any type of screening for my breast. Um, And so I went into the gynecologist, she felt my breast and she said, well, yeah, it does feel a little bit different. And she, with no hesitation said, I'm gonna send you for a mammogram. And so the next day I was in uh, for a mammogram and honestly had no, I, you know, didn't know what I was to expect. I'm like, what? You know, I remember my mom complaining about mammograms, but I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, um, I just remember being in this pink shirt and they're like, all right, you're going back. You're going to get a squeeze here, squeeze there. And thinking I was leaving there and everything would be fine. But when they went to do the mammogram, they said, well, we see an area that looks, I mean, you have really dense breasts. I'm like, what does that mean? Um, But you have really dense breasts. So we want to go a little bit deeper. We want to do an ultrasound, which at the time I didn't realize that with dense breasts, you should have an ultrasound after a mammogram. Um, So I thought, okay, so went to the ultrasound. And as they were looking, they were like, we do see an area that's suspicious. We want to go a little bit deeper. Can you come back at the end of the week and let's do a biopsy? And I was like, biopsy? Oh my goodness. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> and they told me everything. And that Friday I went in for a needle biopsy. They actually biopsied three parts of my breast, one on the left, two on the right. Um, and I remember thinking, all right, I mean, I really had no idea. I really had never researched breast cancer. So I really had no idea what this meant. You know, I just went in, I did the biopsy. And later on that evening after the biopsy, 
they called me back and said, well, um, tomorrow we'll probably call you with the results. And I was like, okay. And so the next day I was just sitting there, it was like four o'clock in the evening. My husband, I left, he walks in the door and the phone rings and it is my gynecologist. And she said, did you look at your records? So I didn't realize my records come through before a doctor would contact me. So thankfully I had not looked and freaked out or anything, um, but she contacted me and she said, I have good news and bad news. And I said, okay. She said, the good news is the two spots that we, you, we felt, you felt are actually benign. Um, but we do see a small tumor in the lower quadrant of your right breast. And it looks like it's ER, PR positive and HER2 positive. And I was like, I screamed, I dropped the phone. My husband picked up the phone and I, that's all I remember. <laughs> um, and I remember her saying, Kawana, you're going to get through this. Come into my office tomorrow and we'll talk it over. And that was my gynecologist. And so I went into her office the next day. She gave me literature on what her two positive breast cancers were and the treatments. And she told me, I said, well, do I have to do chemo? She said, probably not, probably just her septum. And I was thinking, oh, well, that would be good. She's like, yeah, you wouldn't have to lose your hair, I don't think, or anything like that. She's like, but I don't want you worrying about that. She said, well, can I contact, do you want me to contact an oncologist for you so you don't have to worry about that? And I said, that would be perfect. She said, I'll coordinate everything for you. And um, she sent over my records to several oncologists in the area. Um, and one of them is a very well-known research uh, physician here in the Pittsburgh area who actually uh, presented at the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium just not too long ago. <laughs> um, and he said, I'll take her. I'm doing studies on her too, and I'd love to have her. And so the next week I went in um, to meet my oncologist and I remember being thrust into this world of the unknown, you know, walking in, nurses saying, um, get ready because you're probably going to lose your hair and like just talking to me. And I'm like, I haven't even talked to oncologists yet. I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, I remember being greeted by two um, African-American women who were researchers. I'm like, we want to follow you along your journey. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. I don't want to come back here tomorrow. I don't even know what you're talking about. Right? Um, and so she was talking to me. And then the nurse practitioner walked in and she was a, a black woman. And she, she said, um, yeah, so based off of all your paperwork, um, what will probably happen is you'll go through six rounds of chemotherapy, you'll have surgery. And then after that, um, you'll do radiation. And I was like, what? My gynecologist told me that I was probably doing Herceptin, not chemotherapy. So now I'm like totally confused. Um, and at that moment, I start re realizing I'm like, oh, I have to like research and start advocating for myself. So I know what it is that I'm doing. Um, and so then my oncologist walked in the door. He looked at me, he said, listen, this is a small tumor. It's slow growing. Let's get it out. Let's get it out first. And then we'll talk about all treatments after that. And I remember being like whew, relieved and I'm like, he's like, so how do you want to get it out? Do you want a mastectomy or do you want a lumpectomy? And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Well, you could take, you do a breast or he said, honestly, Kwana, for your situation, I would prefer you do a lumpectomy and radiation and you'd probably do just as good as a mastectomy. And I was like, okay. He said, I'm gonna send you over to uh, your, you know, the breast uh, surgeon and you'll talk to him about it. Then you'll come see me after that. So the next week I was in meeting with the surgeon. He looked at me, he's like, this is gonna be easy. It's straightforward. Uh, it is slow growing. It hasn't, I don't see anything anywhere suspicious. Um, in the meantime, they did send me for MRI, CT scans, bone scans, all those things. Cancer was nowhere else, um, but in that place, but it was a stage one B uh, tumor, mm -hmm. um, but he said it's really slow growing. So I'm not really concerned about it to the point where I think I need to do anything beforehand. I think that we could do surgery and get this thing out and you could do radiation and we could look at her septum if you want to decide to do that. Um, but let's talk about it later. So within two weeks after diagnosis, I was scheduled for a lumpectomy um, with the sentinel nodes removed. Um, I was wheeled back. Uh, I had the, the tumor taken out. And um, from there, I went back to my oncologist and he said, what do you want to do next? And the one thing I can say about my oncologist that hasn't been the experience of many people is because he is well-researched, he was able to tell me, these are your odds. 
and these are your options. So I felt like I had options. Um, and so we went through that plan together. And I told him after looking at everything, when he told me chemotherapy was only going to help me like a very, very small percentage for my type of cancer and uh, the, you know, the, the, the way the tumor looked, um, I said, you know what? I don't think I want to take the risk of chemotherapy. He said, I don't know that it will work. I don't, you know, Herceptin works for some and for some people it doesn't either. So you choose. And so I chose not to do chemotherapy or Herceptin, but I went with the hormone therapy. You know, that's a big, big decision to make. Uh, and I, I think that you were fortunate that you were in this partnership with your oncologist. Absolutely. Where you were able to have that conversation and as you said, I, I know that a lot of people don't feel supported in decisions that go against that right. original recommendation. And having gone through it and having lived through that, what advice or recommendations do you have for people who are maybe listening to this and saying, wow, I'm here right now and I, I don't know what to do. I'm afraid to, to bring up an opposing point of view. I'm scared. Right. Um, so my 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 suggestion always is to find your voice. I mean, this is not the time to be silent. It is your health. Um, you know, you can't control all of it, but there are portions that you can be responsible for. And so, um, you know, ask, you know, if I had known what I know now, you know, my my, I say everybody needs a quarterback on the team. You need somebody who's going to uh, throw the ball for you. And, I, and I'm grateful for my gynecologist who was that um, because I would have never known to reach out to this oncologist who was well-researched, who understood my cancers, who knew treatments and all those things. But she did that for me. And to this day, I talk to her more about my cancer probably than I talk to my oncologist because we have conversations where she allows me to come in and just sit, you know? Um, and so I will say, find an advocate, find someone who can be your quarterback and help you um, with the hard questions that you may not understand. So if I don't understand something, I said, well, she told me her septum, then I could have her talk to my oncologist about what she told me. And, mm -hmm. and it was an open conversation. Um, and I hear that from a lot of gynecologists too, who say we often tend to be the women for people under which, especially women who have never had a mammogram. First person they usually come to is the gynecologist and they don't know what happens to their patients after they've sent them to someone else. Yeah. And it's we, unfortunate. We hear that a lot. You know, they, they go, you go to the gynecologist, that's your first point, okay, I feel a mass and you get sent for a mammogram and then you kind of disappear into the cancer center into this like vo is void almost that uh, I know that sometimes a lot of the gynecologists will say, oh, I don't even know what happened. You know, they right, don't know they don't. Happened. And then I come back the next year for my, you know, yearly exams and then they have to check my breast and one is bigger than the other or I've got, you know, whatever. And they don't have no, they have no clue what mm -hmm. they're looking at. Yeah. Um, so I'm, but I am grateful for her because she took time to explain things to me even before I got into um, that office. But I will say that I was disappointed that the nurse practitioner came in the, right before my oncologist and gave me a whole program and said, this is what you're going to do. And he came right back in afterwards and said, no, we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I told him, Going forward, if you and your physician assistant can't be on the same page when it's talking to someone with cancer, then I'd rather wait until you come and don't send her in. It's confusing and it's, I think, overwhelming and it's scary. And now you're getting conflicting opinions and, and, and at a already very fraught, challenging time. Absolutely. I was scared out of my mind. And then he came in and everything just kind of went away. Like, oh, all I have to do is go get surgery right now. And I can think about these other things later. Like I didn't have to make decisions within a week. Right. Mm -hmm. And now the other thing I would say to people is, you know, um, I know that cancer, when you hear cancer, you get scared and you feel like you got to make decisions like right away. But I would say take as much time as you can to understand your treatment plans, what it is, your options are, and even get a second opinion about your diagnosis so that you have your best interest in mind, you know, because at the end of the day, it's you, it's your health, and you have to be, um, 
you have to love the decisions that you make. Um, so that allowing for him to say that to me and say, you can have surgery that allowed me to think through all the other things afterwards. And so I didn't have to move as fast. I was aggressive about let's get this out and then let's talk about everything. And I remember asking the question like, okay, so if I start chemotherapy, do I have to start it like immediately? And he was like, no, not really. He's like, you know, we have a certain window in which you should start chemotherapy. And I was like, okay. And if I do radiation, do I have to have radiation as soon as I have my surgery? And he said, no, you can actually, there's a little time there. And so I asked those questions because I was like, I really, if I'm going to do this, I want to give my body enough time to heal before I go to the next thing. And I, I was going to add the same thing that you just said was that you should, when you were asking, saying, okay, I need time, ask how much time you have to make a decision. You know, saying, okay, well, what would be without sacrificing my health? You know, do I have a month? to think about it. Right. Um, Do I have two weeks to think about it? I mean, in breast cancer, and I won't speak for other cancers, but in breast cancer, for the most part, there are exceptions. There's nothing that can't wait a few weeks. Absolutely. And as a, and as a physician, I'm glad you said that because we don't hear that. You know, I have heard the stories of, I went in and doctors have said to me, you need to make a decision if you want to live. And the reality is the majority of us will live. Mm-hmm. And they're not giving us that. They're giving us the damage, like you have this chance of, of survival, but it's really like, it's like, and I told, I remember telling my oncologist, I don't want to hear statistics of anybody except for the ones that are doing well. I don't want to hear about the other stuff, <laughs> you know, yeah. because I didn't want to hear the doom and gloom. I wanted to like hear that there are people out here with this diagnosis doing well. And he's like, oh yeah, I have tons of people who have done well. And, you know, I could give you names if you want to talk to some people, if they'd allow you to. And, 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 you know, I had that option. No, and I think statistics, a lot of times people want statistics, but you have to understand and take a step back into what they mean. Right. So if there is, let's say, okay, 90% do not recur and 10% recur. Right. You fall into that 10%. If you are the person that recurred, it is a hundred percent for you. So it doesn't Absolutely. really matter that all these other people are doing well. I mean, you're happy for them, but right. you've recurred. So I always try to kind of, if people ask for statistics, I try to be more general about them because I don't want anyone making a decision on a one or 2%. We kind of think, okay, I always say statistically, this cancer is not going to come back. You know, statistically you have a low risk cancer and if that can help you in your decision-making great, but I don't want you to make all of your decisions based on one statistic. Absolutely. And I can say that I remember, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful because my oncologist said, I want to do these five tests to tell you your percentage of what each therapy will or won't do for you. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of women in our community don't have never even heard that they could do that. Um, But I was grateful that he was able, he was like, put it all on the table. If you do chemotherapy, if you do radiation, if you do Herceptin, if you do Tamoxifen, your chance of reoccurrence is this, this, and this. And it was so extremely low. I was thinking, you know, he's like, and he said, and honestly, Kawana, I could, we could do all the things. And that doesn't mean you wouldn't be sitting yeah. back here in a year or five years. So it's up to you, the choice you made. He allowed me to be empowered to make that decision. I really like that, that he allowed you to be empowered. Absolutely. That's really, really important. And I will say for anyone listening, if you are not getting that from your team, one, speak up. I, I, I think the problem is that people, we want, look, if you're not getting that, you should go somewhere where you can get that, where you feel heard, where you can share your voice. But I think what happens is that sometimes people leave. Absolutely. No one knows. And the doctor or the nurse practitioner, whoever doesn't know why. So right. then we're not changing the conversation. We're not educating people on, you know, I, I'm leaving the practice because I didn't feel heard. Right, right. Or, or maybe saying, I'm not feeling hurt. Can we work instead of just leaving? And I'm saying, I'm not feeling hurt, right? How can we fix this dialogue? Absolutely. And the other thing that I can say that I appreciated about him is too, is that he wasn't going to dismiss me if I decided I didn't want to do all the things. Yes. He told mm-hmm. me, this is your choice. And he said, I am not God. 
At the end of the day, I can't play your God. All I do is practice medicine. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. You choose. Mm -hmm. And that made me feel more comfortable about the whole situation. Like at the end of the day, I could do all the things and be there or not and be there. So Kawana, what choices do you want to make for your life? And that's what I did. That's wonderful. And you became a coach after that, or were you already a coach? No, I was after that. I just happened to be in a group with women. And one of, I had told them that I had just been diagnosed with breast cancer and I was going through my treatments, but also consulting with a nutritionist and a health practitioner. Because one thing about my diagnosis that I knew is that I wanted to be able to help myself however that was, right? And even if diet wasn't proven to, you know, keep whatever, I still wanted to feel well if I was going to do all the things. So I immediately, as I was talking to my oncologist, I asked him, I said, are you okay with me seeing a, a naturopathic physician or a holistic practitioner to help me with my diet and exercise and stuff if I choose to do these things? And he said, oh, absolutely. And I said, are there any supplements that you don't want me to take while I'm going through this treatment? And he told me the only one that I would be more concerned about is turmeric. Everything else you're, you, could, you could do and I would be perfectly fine with. And so I said, okay. And I started working with a holistic practitioner. So I was in a group and I was telling ladies that, um, you know, I was really working on my diet and exercise. And and I was not that I was an unhealthy individual because I've always been an athlete. I've always been in pretty good shape, but I just wanted to be more disciplined. Um, And then I started reading more of the studies that prove that there are benefits to Mm -hmm. exercise and eating well. So um, a lady reached out to me and she said, can you help me? And I was like, "Uh, I think, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) and I said what is it you're trying to do and she told me she said I'm a stage four pancreatic um, cancer diagnosis Um, they told me I have six months to live and I don't know what to do and they and I and I was like okay and we talked on the phone and I and she said and they want me to start chemotherapy and radiation together starting tomorrow and she started giving me all the percentages and all the things. And I said, well, maybe we should get a second opinion. And she said, okay. And I said, can you upload your records to MD Anderson? I think that will be a good place to start. And she said, okay. She was in a smaller hospital in a more rural area. And MD Anderson contacted her and within the next day said, come in, we have a program for you. And she got there. And the first thing they started working on was her nutrition, her mental health, and all the things. And then they put her on immunotherapies and they put her in the mistletoe therapy trial, some other things. And within like two weeks, she was already doing better. And that's when coaching started for me. She called me and she said, Kuana, you know, honestly, you gave me the best news I've had in weeks because everybody was telling me to get my things prepared because I was going to die. And I really felt like I was going to die, but you gave me hope. And when she said that, I was like, just being able to give somebody hope. um, Okay, maybe I should help more people. And that's how coaching started for me. And just to tell you that three years later, that lady is still living. I have, I have chills. I was just going to ask you if she's, you know, how she's doing. That's, that's amazing. She went, she's been doing the mistletoe therapy with John Hopkins hospital that trial through Believe Big, and she's three years out from a six-month death diagnosis that they gave her. That's amazing. And what does coaching look like now, a couple of years into it? Oh, wow. A couple of years into it. It looks like having, I do group coaching. I have been hired now with a naturopathic physician um, who supports 80% of her clients are cancer patients. And so it looks like coaching somewhere between five and 25 people a week um, in group coaching. And we talk about their side effects from their therapies. We talk about what they want to do for their nutrition. We talk about uh, mind, body, and spirit. We talk about, you know, mental, we talk about the mental health piece more than anything, like having the mindset that you can win, that you can overcome, Um, you know, really doing a lot of meditation. We do a lot of, uh, just a lot of things to help them. And then I also do a lot of um, coaching as far as helping them find 
funding and the right hospitals and the right organizations to connect with for the things they need. Um, so it just it just depends. You know, my question always to the people I'm coaching is, how do you want me to serve you? Some people it is, I want to know who I can contact about services. I wanna talk about how I can come up with funding. Then other people was like, I really want to be able to support myself through chemotherapy and radiation without feeling like crap. So what can we do to help support you in that way? So everybody is different. Um, you know, I tell them if you come with a mindset that you uh, can overcome, uh, the possibilities are endless and open. And the majority of who we're dealing with are doing really well. And many of them have stage four diagnosis. So that gives me hope, too. That so many people are in the stage four diagnosis now and they're still surviving and living um, normal lives. That's amazing because you hear stage four oftentimes and the first thing we think about is, is death. But there's so many doing so well. Actually, one of my clients told me last week that she's net no evidence of disease just within this last month of coaching. And she started changing her diet, her exercise. Um, and started doing some uh, other nutritional things. And she finally got her Ned and I was just like ecstatic and she's stage four. So, um, you know, it's been rewarding. Of course, everybody's not, you know, there are the, we've lost some too. Um, but sometimes I think that, I think what I love about you, cause you're like leading edge is that you understand that things can be complementary and that you don't start things later. You can do it all at the same time. Yeah. And if you do it at the same time, oftentimes you might have a better result than those who don't. So, yeah. You know, we think about it. We put, you know, we give people chemo and all these medications. It's poison, right? There's no other way to, to think about it. And, but we don't, for years, for decades, no one thought about the stuff that goes into someone's body every single day, the food that we eat, the way that we move our body. And I will tell you up until a few years ago, and I've talked about this before, people said, what should I eat during chemo? I was like, no, it's nothing. Do eat whatever you want. No big deal. And I, I horrified that yes. I said these things, but you know, you, <laughs> learn, you, know, you learn and we know, we know what that it really matters. Absolutely. What you eat how you move your body. And those things not only help, we, we know we've researched saying that they help, but also you feel better. And if you feel better, your mental health is better. And it's just a positive cycle in that. Regard. Absolutely. That's why I tell people it can't hurt. So why would you tell people not to do it? Yeah. It can't hurt. I mean, move it. And I tell everybody, if there's not anything, you know, because everybody can't afford to do everything. And I'm like, there's a couple of things that you can do, you know, and that is, move five mm -hmm. to 10 minutes a day if that's all you can do like I had somebody reach out to me today who's actually a health practitioner in the middle of COVID and she's going crazy and she's like I'm just exhausted I'm tired I'm like listen self-care is the best care so I need you to at least get five minutes of meditation in if you can do that every day yeah. think about that five minutes can change your, the rest of your day right um, so I try to make things simple I'm not complicated. I don't want people taking 200 different things, blah, blah, blah. I tell people do what you can maintain. Um, but I'm always trying to find ways in which I can serve and help people live better lives. Because I remember telling my doctor, I don't just want to survive. Yeah. I want to overcome and I want to thrive. I don't want to walk around in pain every day. I mean, I could do all the things, but I still don't want to be in aching pain. And I remember starting tamoxifen and being in absolute pain and nobody being able to tell me what to do besides my holistic practitioner. Mm -hmm. um, just giving me small tweaks to complement what I was doing to help me get through that. Um, so that's what coach, that's what coaching has done. It's been very fulfilling actually. Who, who should have a coach? You know, I mean, I don't know. I feel like everyone should have a coach. After Absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, so, can I have a coach? I don't yes. Know. <laughs> yes, you need a coach. Listen, the statistics that just came out from, uh, I think, INC said that 90% of the people who have a coach will succeed in any chronic disease mm -hmm. because it's about accountability. Yeah. It's about community. And it's about someone giving you wisdom and research. So you're not out here 
willy nilly taking 200 different things that you shouldn't be taking. That's the other thing. And, and that's the problem. So the, the social media is great, but it's also not great. And one of the things that is you can get overwhelmed with information. Um, and I think it's helpful information, but sometimes how do you tease out? You hear about all these things and everyone's doing this and that, and you don't know what works for you. You need that one person who's going to center you and who's going to say, this is good. This yes, is not. absolutely. And that is why, um, you know, I see all the social media stuff and that's why I'm very conscious about the things I post mm -hmm. and especially to the cancer community because everybody wants to do something. Everything that I post and that I've done are researched, yep. well researched. And if you see, if I post something, I always post the research behind it. And my disclaimer to all of my patients and clients always, I call them champions. I don't call them clients or anything because they're champions because they're going to win this, is here's the research. Now take this back to your physician so they understand what it is you're doing. And the physician that I work with will work alongside with any oncologist if they're open to it. Everybody's not, but some are uh, very willing to like mine. He was like, he didn't even want any. He's like, do the things you're doing. And you know, I hope it helps, you know? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, and then now I have switched on colleges because I changed insurance on so another network. And she is actually a DO um, and an oncologist. So she's very open to things. And now she's even like, I told her, I'm like, I'm doing mistletoe. And she's like, oh, I know all about that. I work with John Hopkins. You know, I'm perfectly mm -hmm. fine. doing. So I don't even have to like come to her. She comes to me with things because she's doing a lot of research and she's open to it. And I, I think that it's really important one to hear you say that, right? You need the collaboration both ways. I think Absolutely. so. I, people always ask me, can I go see? I say, see whoever you want. The one thing that I ask is that they are willing to work with me and vice versa. So that they'll Absolutely. send us what they're recommending. We can send them and, and so forth. But, and the other part that I think is important to touch on is, you know, your oncologist or your team. So your oncologist is not going to give you everything. There's yeah. no way for one person to be everything that you need in cancer. That's why we have social workers and coaches and nutritionists and, you know, financial advocates and all of these people. So it's important to make sure that you have all of these people on your team that awesome. are going to help you. Absolutely. It's building a team. And that's um, the other thing to anybody listening, build your team. Um, and, you know, I at some day will try to put together a toolkit, but I want to put together a toolkit to tell you what your team should look like, mm -hmm. because cancer impacts every part of your health that people don't even know from your eyes mm -hmm. to your skin, yeah. to your heart, um, to your ovaries, to your lymphatic system. There's no way an oncologist is going to know what every single thing. So that's why you have, you know, all these different, you have, have all these specialists and doctors, yep. mm -hmm. um, but a coach could be the quarterback telling you, these are the things you're going to need because I have people coming, my nails are falling off. Nobody told me, what do I do? Um, my eyes have changed. What do I do about that? You know, like I talk to my optometrist every time I'm there. Like, you know, he's like, of, he's like, I have so many cancer patients who come in and their vision changes and, and some go back and some don't, you know, and people don't know that. Um, some, some people lose taste and never get it back. Some people lose smell. Like there's so many different things that come with it. So just not that all those things will impact you, but some of those things will, especially if you have to do uh, the immunotherapies, the chemotherapies and the radiations. And I think the other part of it also is that your take the healthcare team out of it for a second. Who is your team at home? A lot of times I find that people rely on one person in their life. And that person, again, is not usually, you know, a partner, but that person isn't going to give you everything they can't. Absolutely. You need to have, maybe it's your, you know, your husband and you've got your friend or your sister or your mom, but it can't be one person. Absolutely. It's too much for any one person. Yeah. Um, it, for me, I'm grateful. My husband has been a supporter um, and my son and it's been the two of us mainly in the family, but, but my community comes from 
my naturopathic physician that I work for now and the coaches that I'm working with. So she's my coach, right? I have a naturopathic doctor that I work with, oncologist and an oncologist, but she's my coach. Like when I feel like, okay, these people, you know, what, what do you, what do I, so we bounce. I'd like today we were asking a question. I asked her a question about saunas. I'm like, are you supposed to take a cold shower after a sauna or not? And she was like, no, you should wait 30 minutes. I'm like, what? why no one, ever, no one ever told me that. <laughs> I didn't know that. I was like, wait a second. I know. And that's what I said. That's crazy because right. We go into these institutions yeah. and they put you in saunas and then they just say, go take a shower, but they're not telling you the science behind why you should be doing the hydrotherapy and how and she's an expert in that so I she's like no you should wait 30 minutes because you're still sweating and then you should do a like room temperature shower and then go cold I'm like okay great so you know that's why I need a coach too (laughs) no I mean I think there's so much we don't know and one of the things that I love about my Instagram account is people ask me things and I don't know everything but I will research and look it up and I have learned so much from people saying, Hey, I heard this. Can you talk about it? Absolutely. Then I'm, you know, I research it and I learn a lot and I think that I can bring it to, you know, the community. Absolutely. And you are, you have grown, like you really have grown. So I'm, I'm like, I'm so grateful for you. Cause I think I remember like last year you came on a clubhouse with, yeah, Bella. that's how we first, and it was how we first yeah. met mm-hmm. and you were like, you were like, how do I find out more information about this stuff? And I was like, well, here's, you know, like some yeah. resources. And then like, now you're posting about turmeric and you're t- posting about diet and you're doing like doing all these competitions. And I'm like, I, I love it. I love it. It, it makes, it does my heart good. Um, and it really did my heart good doing the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium, understanding that physicians do understand that diet and exercise. Oh, it's, it's huge, but it's new. And I see that with other physicians that are online and they're, but there's still, I will say there's a lot of people that are not talking about it partially because we don't get the education and right. no one is comfortable talking about things that they don't know. So if you don't right. have, like, I think I hear a lot, well, my oncologist isn't telling me about mm-hmm. this. Right. And in part, it's not because they don't want to. In part, we don't have time. I think that's a big factor and that's a huge problem in healthcare. Um, And two, if they're not comfortable or they don't know, it's easier to kind of just not bring it up. That's the way it is, unfortunately. Absolutely. Um, You know, one of the things I want to talk about before we wrap up and we had talked a little bit about this is, you know, minority access to care and clinical trials. And we had... We, we talked about this actually a little bit on chat when I was at San Antonio, um, and I'm curious to hear your perspective on, you know, clinical trials, and I know you're very active in Tiger Lily, so share with us. Absolutely. So I will say, as well-researched as my oncologist is and all the things, I was never asked to be a part of a clinical trial. And I know that the hospital that I go to participates in trials because it's one of the leading hospitals in cancer. I mean, particularly in this area, we have two mystatic breast cancer centers that are, and we have research. So I, I was never asked to be a part of a clinic, clinical trial. I will say that I researched clinical trials. I have no idea. And that's just because I'm that person. I research stuff. Um, and I was like, okay, so... Why nobody ever asked me? And then, so I think when I went to my radiation oncologist and we talked about radiation, I remember asking them, were there any trials? And um, them saying, no, not really. But then I went back to my oncologist and I said, there's no trials. And he said, oh yeah, there is a trial. He said, cause we just found out that 15 units of radiation is just as effective as 30. So go back and tell them, I suggest you do 15. So I did 15 rounds of radiation over the 30. Um, but it wasn't like I was not signed up for a trial. It's just that he knew that from a trial, right? Mm-hmm. He gave me the option, but I wasn't like put into any trial. Um, but I now that I sit on the board of Glimmer and Pope Foundation here in Pittsburgh, that's what they do. They fund clinical trials. And the more and more research I learn and the more and more I talk into the community, so many of the women have never been offered clinical trials. And I think part of it um, is, like you said, the fact that a lot of hospitals don't participate and then others, it's like they're, I don't know if it's like they're scared to present options or they think that 
people don't want to participate. I don't think that it's always that people don't want to participate. I think it's just that they're failing to give people information. And I will say too that talking about a clinical trial takes a lot of time. Yes. I think that that is a barrier. Mm. I think that is a barrier. It's a wrong barrier, but it's there. And I also, and I'm listening to this and sometimes I know there's no trial. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking I should say to every single person, there, I don't have a clinical trial for you. So right. they know that I've thought about it because right. I don't bring it up if I don't have a trial, but that's not, that's doing a disservice. And I think the conversation more so is as a, as a oncologist, did you know there are clinical trials? However, I don't participate in those clinical trials. Just so people even know clinical trials are an option. Mm -hmm. I think it's the fact that it's like not even a conversation. And how do you, so you're right. I think it's not a conversation very, very often. And I'm just thinking about how do we fix this? Literature Mm -hmm. that can be given out. Like I didn't receive any, like, even if it, I mean, because I feel like this, even if you give them, you can say, I, there are some clinical trials for your type of cancer. However, I am not one of those participating, but here are some doctors in hospitals that do participate in these. Maybe that's the second or third opinion they might get, mm-hmm. you know? So I think there are ways to do it. I think the part is just having the conversation at least. And I I agree. And I think saying, I like that perspective saying, I don't have this trial here, um, but these places do. Or saying right now, there are no active trials for your type of cancer at this stage. Right, right. Because now that I, because honestly, like you said, you're doing like a medical nutrition trial. I'm like, you know, after I started taking the Tiger Lily course, I'm realizing there are so many trials out there. There's like medical nutrition trials and things like that. I'm like, oh, I could have been participating in these. And I actually, um, Glimmer of Hope, the board I'm on, they are doing a clinical trial for those who have taken um, AIs. And so I said, oh, well, thank you for this information. I'll share this on my page. Not that I know much about it, but I'll share it. And one of the girls that I coached came back and said, thanks to you, I'm in the clinical trial. I'm like, oh, really? She's like, yeah, you know that post you posted? You posted it. And I contacted them and I was I was eligible. And I'm like, that's amazing. So there is now a another African-American woman who's a part of the clinical trial. Mm-hmm. Not that you have to know much about it. It's just providing the information. The big thing is getting the word out there and get getting the word out there. And there is a huge discrepancy in racial in in minority enrollment yes. in clinical trials. And I think part of that it fosters cycle and maybe I'm wrong, but I think when you don't see a lot of black women on trial, maybe they're less like, maybe you feel less likely to go on it. And I don't know, but I'm just thinking. And I will say that I am not a part of the official trial at John Hopkins, but I am doing a, I am a part of trial because it is a, it is, it is an alternative therapy that is in that trial right now. So I told my oncologist I'm doing this and she followed up with that hospital for the research for, for that therapy um, and, and did the communications. Yeah. And, and one of the benefits of in the internet is that you, you can much more widely disseminate the information, but the part that no one talks about is I think that there is this curtain behind in front rather of how clinical trials are conducted how they're designed, how they get approved. Do you know that if I have a trial, if I don't have permission to market the trial, I can't go and put it on my Instagram account. Wow. So if I don't have a graphic that the IRB, the Institutional Review Board has approved, I can't just post it on my Instagram. Now that I've presented the study, I can share it. But there's all these rules about how you can market things. And so, mm. and a lot of people say, well, it's in this hospital. Why can't I get the study from my hospital? Mm-hmm. You gotta be open. I mean, there's this, this huge problem. Yeah. And then trying to find a trial. So if you are diagnosed with cancer and you say, oh, I, I don't, I wanna know if there's trials. There's one website that is impossible to navigate even for physicians. Mm-hmm. So 
So I can't imagine how challenging it is for patients who are not like you, you have no idea. Is mm-hmm. it open? How do I contact? What do I do? Um, so there's, there's so many, there's huge issues. Well, I will put out there that there is the citizens app and um, they came on clubhouse. Citizens app is now an app where you can upload your information and they will contact all your hospitals to get all your records and pull everything in and it will help you find clinical trials. That's amazing. That is amazing. Yes. And so I was I'm a part of that trial. I think several of us in that clubhouse room decided to do it. Um, and it did bring up all the trials in my in, in my area. And they went and got all the records. Like, I mean, those records were hundreds and hundreds of pages. So I have one place for all of that stuff now. So now if I go to another, if there's another hospital, I don't have to upload, download. I can just re- request access and they can transfer that data. So what's it called? Citizens app? Citizens, mm-hmm, Citizens app. And I think it's right now targeted for breast cancer patients. That's amazing. I know that the American Cancer Society is also trying to do something similar. We were talking to them recently about this, where they they realize that it's very hard and they want mm-hmm. to help patients. Um, you know, they also want to help physicians be able to reach out to other yes places because just because I have a study here, I I'm reaching a radius of 15 miles. I'm not mm-hmm. reaching the people 30 miles away that I really want to get. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yep. So look at citizens app and, and you know. can do that in your practice to people um, and see how they like it, but it's just a, you can put it on your phone, click it, transfer it. I think it took me a couple, a week to get everything in there. And, and then all the trials came up, but at this point um, I'm four years out and I, I'm doing Okay, I have scans coming up in February, so we'll see. Um, but I can't believe my husband and I were driving down the street yesterday, and I was like, "Can you believe it's almost four years?" Four years ago, I did not know I would be here. I couldn't think beyond yeah. the day. I mean, when I heard cancer, I thought death. Yeah. Um, okay. So, like knowing four years, here I am. I was like, "Oh gosh!" Like it's so surreal. Um, I'm getting closer to that. That window, yeah, yeah, you know, but you know what? I still see my oncologist and do scans every six months for my sanity. Uh, I, you know, I, I still do. I, you know, I do my mammograms, but I do my ultrasounds every six months. I've just found that to be a sound mind for me. Um, and so I just tell people to do whatever you need to do for for you, um, whatever makes you feel comfortable. And sometimes it's not you can't get into the oncologist because his his schedule is backed up or whatever, then find someone else, some, mm-hmm. some other thing to support you. And that's been a, it has helped me uh, calm my nerves to be able to do that every six months before doing a mammogram or an MRI to know um, that they, they see me and they're following me. Thank you. This was a wonderful conversation. Where can listeners connect with you? Uh, it's been great. They can find me. Most of my social media is up to date. Instagram, I'm a Rucker Wellness. I'm always sharing whatever knowledge um, I've obtained over this four years of life. Um, and then I'm on TikTok. I have a pretty good follower, and I'm Coach K over there. I think I have. Oh, I like, don't. I don't think I follow you on TikTok. I gotta do that. You gotta follow me on TikTok so I can follow you back. Oh, I don't. Um, I'm. I'm. I've dabbled, but I've given. I've given up. <laughs> Listen, it, isn't it? It is so hard to keep up with all this stuff. I know. I like realize like these are the things I'm going to commit to and do them well. And because you you can't do everything. You just no, no, no. And if people want to contact me about coaching, they can go to Doctor Sam S A M M N as in Nancy D as in dog dot com. That's Balance Integration is her practice, and you can click on there and you can get a fifteen minute free consultation with her and um and then you're you, you get so with her practice you get her is a naturopathic oncologist and all of us as your coaches so we have touch points three times a week where people can ask questions and if they want dr sam to contact doctors she is concierge service and she will do all the things so um we're here to support in any way we can and last question if anyone is interested, do they have to be in your area or this can be? No, it's all virtual practice. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing that you can see results in people virtually. Like you don't. Yeah. 
And I will say that for all the bad that COVID has brought us, the one good thing is that this ability to interact virtually completely. Absolutely. I love it, honestly, because listen, I'm tired of going into those. I'm so tired of going into the doctor's office and them asking me my birth date six different times. And if I'm still like, I'm, I'm like, listen. It is in my charts that I am allergic to Valium. Please don't ask me that again. You shouldn't even have to ask me. Like, you, it, it's there. Yeah. Like we. <laughs> I know people yelling at me all the time. I'm like, I have to. It's not my fault. Don't get mad at me. Isn't in the system? Okay, you know. And I will say, it, I was present. I was so surprised when I went to my last uh, MD appointment with my regular doctor. And she was like speaking in a microphone and it was transcribing everything and I was like wait and then she punched it and she was like read this over is this good I'm like oh this is amazing like she's not over there trying to like you know so that helps with the doctor's appointment because mm-hmm. I got to have more conversation versus her trying to do all the things so yeah well thank you this was wonderful I appreciate it. I appreciate you reaching out and I appreciate everything you've done for our community. You like, you're like that little twinkling star. (laughs) (laughs) You're always posting such great stuff and you truly love, you can tell you love what you do and love us and our community. So we appreciate you for being in our lives. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation. I think this episode was fantastic. Kawana had a lot of decisions to make about whether or not to do chemotherapy, whether or not to do herception-based therapy, whether to proceed with endocrine therapy. And hearing about how she made those decisions, I think is going to be really helpful for anyone who struggled with decision-making for their health and for their family's health. The work that she is doing now as a health coach and as a patient advocate is just remarkable. And I I think that we could all benefit from someone in our lives like Kawana to help us. If you enjoyed this episode, and I hope that you did, I would be honored if you could leave a reading and review over on Apple Podcasts, as that is the best way to help me grow the show and to bring it to new listeners. If you are coming onto this podcast for the first time, please hit the subscribe button over on Apple so that you don't miss out on any future episodes as well. As always, you can find me at Dr. Duplinski on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, and you can find Kawana at Rucker Wellness on Instagram. Have a great weekend, and I will see all of you soon. 